Firstly, we just also want to give a quick shout out to this incredible venue, Charlie's. Um, please give them a more warm round of applause. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, my my dear loving Boo, who's also in the room. Um, when we were looking for a venue, found this one online, and then we found people who had been here before. It feels like home, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels really intimate. So the thing about it is, Musa and I typically record the show on our own in a in a in a studio. Look, it's a decent studio. Shout out to Sweet Spot Audio. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's Musa and I and our engineer Ofi, yeah. and it's pretty intimate, right? Um, so I don't want you to think just because Musa and I speak for a living, among other things, um, that this is not weird for us. This is kind of weird because you guys are part of what's usually a really intimate situation. Yeah, we usually look into each other's eyes yeah. like, like this. We gaze. Yeah, and we talk and about we look it. away when it gets awkward. <laughs> when you talk about artificial intelligence, we yeah, look away. Like, look away. It's like, uh, so, <laughs> so no, for real, guys, um, this is uh, three years in the making. A little podcast called The African Tech Roundup is hatched in my home um, on a couch not unlike the one you're sitting on. And uh, within a year and a half of that, it's the largest podcast of its kind in the world. And within another sort of year and a half of that, we have, uh, as co-founder, the second person Facebook hired in Africa um, as part of the team. We have an incredible head of growth in Tayo Akinyemi. Please wave. Hello, She's being the high Tayo. Come on, guys, wave back. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Come on, be nice, Amsterdam. <laughs> Tayo's based in Chicago. Musa and I in Johannesburg. Um, our core advisor, a certain tour, Holstead is, is in Madagascar. Uh, you guys are part of a really big dream coming together. Two thirds of our audience is away from the African continent. Uh, Amsterdam, like I said, the second largest city um, audience uh, in, in Europe after London. Eighth country overall is the Netherlands in terms of listenership. All from an idea that got hatched on a couch in Johannesburg. So it's not lost on us that you guys have spent time and money to spend time with us and, and make this dream happen once again. Welcome and give yourselves a warm flipping round of applause. Yeah. All right. So... So, so tonight we're making magic and we're making history all at the same time. Um, and you're going to be part of that process, which is really exciting for a number of different reasons. Yeah. So aside from keeping it academic, we're trying to get into the heads and minds of a lot of people that are making things tick. We're trying to take um, the agenda and the narrative around what Africa needs to do in the next uh, century. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we kind of fly the flag as much as possible. But tonight, I think it will be all about us kind of bringing the intimacy um, to Amsterdam. And hence why we bring in the village here, right? Yeah, we're <laughs> calling it Village Diaries for a reason. Hashtag Village Diaries Amsterdam for those of you tweeters. Surprisingly, a decent percentage of you aren't on Twitter, which is, is that an Amsterdam thing? Anybody? Is that an Amsterdam thing? <laughs> this so, guy is mounted on the throne like, yeah, he's on like the, the king of Wakanda like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to you first he's like we do not do Twitter, Twitter. Here. not here not here out T'Challa out oh sorry at a moment we'll take your Twitter <laughs> so bless you bro so no I, it was quite fascinating for those of you who are on Twitter or any form of social media Facebook uh, Instagram whatever please share on the hashtag because this is this obviously uh, scales the conversation we 
became an international concern by people who realized that what we were talking about wasn't just for us by us. If we're not going to take hold of this, the narrative that's being told about the continent and its role in this coming fourth industrial revolution, um, then we have ourselves to blame. We have our children to answer to. And you're, you're hearing from a, a, a fellow African, but I'm speaking as a fellow human being. If we get right the opportunities that technology and innovation are bringing forward uh, for, for the continent, we all win. We all win. And that's why it's so important. It's not just about the village, right? The village goes way past uh, the shores of our continent. It is an international concern. It's not just about our diaspora community. It's about people who care and understand that being Africa-focused is really just being human-focused and, and that technology is nothing more than an enabler for a future that we can all make happen the way we want to happen. So uh, we, we're really so glad to have you a part of this. And we have the blessing of having an incredible panel here tonight uh, who will li listen to later on, an incredible fireside chat guest. But then we have all of you, an incredible resource of brilliant individuals who bring a lot to the fore. We're not going to put that to waste now. Never. Never. So we're totally going to expect effects, you. guys, if you didn't know. Yeah. You'll notice that I do the sound effects when he's talking. So. He does. You know the one I love? Don't judge he, do, me. he does. He does the, what's the, the conspiracy? Conspiracy theory. That's the conspiracy, conspiracy theory. theory. So do if I start doing that. Yeah, so. So if you ever listen to the show, look out for the conspiracy theory music. Nonetheless, um, we will be passing this mic through the audience. Um, in this particular case, we're starting with a fireside chat guest. I'm going to invite at this time an incredible individual. He's a CEO and founder of hmm, a concern called Hyber. And it's spelled like Silicon Valley style. That's H-Y-B-R. <laughs> so don't go Googling for Hyber with an E-R. <laughs> You know, don't go putting the E where there's no E. It's Hyber. Ladies and gentlemen, please help us welcome at this time, Charles O.J. Woohoo! Uh, okay. All right. Um, by way of introduction, I know there's some people who, who, who might be aware of who, and what, uh, who you are and, and what you get up to. But it occurs to me that I know a little more than they do. Um, by way of sort of creating a portrait of your professional journey, give these folks a sense of who and what you are and, and how it is you land up here and perhaps a glimpse into why we think you're so dope. Okay. Um, no, well, pressure. Well, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Sell it, buddy. I, I, don't, I don't know where to start from. You know, people ask me this question and I'm pretty much struggling with saying I'm, a, I'm an ex-corporate guy, even though today I still... You know, interact with corporate, uh, corporate corporations a lot. Um, I have a. I'm Nigerian born. Um, I, my 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 background is in human resources, uh, but never did I practice uh, human resources. Doesn't mean I don't love people or. Can't, uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> I was very fortunate enough to immediately after college, you know, get into corporate. Uh, started with retail. You know, sold everything from you know diapers to soap. Um, you know, way back in Nigeria. For and a little company called Procter & Gamble. Small little concern. Small <laughs> we all might have heard of it. <laughs> um, okay. You know, and, and it, was, it was quite interesting because actually that was the beginning of, of the journey in terms of where I am today. Yeah. Because um, one of the things that was really quite experiential for me was having to uh, lead a project that, you know, had to do with taking the company into, the, into rural markets. Mm -hmm. and, you know, how do you do business uh, with the poor, in quotes? And, you know, how, how do you engage from a business model standpoint to ensure that the products you're, set, you're, you're giving to them drives some level of, of impact? So um, way back in 05, that was what, what, what I was doing. And, and it, was, it was quite very, very 
enlightening and insightful. So I'm going to jump in there. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating point. When I was, uh, when I was fortunate to have uh, been part of the Facebook journey into Africa, yeah. we also went into Nigeria and we made a mm. hell of a lot of assumptions like mm. a lot of corporates mm. do about mm. Nigeria. Mm. Now let me tell you a little tidbit about Nigeria. So when we went there as Facebook, we thought we'd go to Unilever, Procter & Gamble, we'd sell them on this fancy kind of custom audience technology, blah, 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 because we always assumed that people would obviously go to the, the shop front to be able to purchase their goods and services, oh, wow. right? We made that assumption. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I think it's something like 80% of trade in Nigeria happens on the side of the road as opposed yeah. to in actual physical stores. So this strategy that we ideated in the Silicon Valley and we sat there and we said, yes, we are going into Africa and we're going to win, was actually fundamentally flawed, right? And it took us about six months to realize it because we didn't have feet on the ground. Just you a know, tidbit. So flip side on that, you grew the, a, a non-existent business in rural Nigeria from zero to... Well, when I sat with my friend um, who basically left the company um, about two years ago, 2015, mm. and I asked him, so what has that business done since 05 till then? And he told me to guess, and I kept guessing, and I couldn't get the number, and it was over, it was over a billion dollars. That, that well, give, this man a, give this man a round of applause. Um, and it's, it's very interesting, you know, we make <laughs> assumptions about yeah. the market and the continent yeah, yeah. and a lot of times it's really about a lot of people basically just look at the data and the spreadsheets and say okay you know mm. one of the things I found we found out during the one of the very alarming things was when we go into the villages and we our model is sell directly to the store but you go to the village and there is no store mm. and you begin to wonder so you know what is the economics here how do people buy and sell mm. and we decided to just stick around a little bit <laughs> And we then saw something they call the market days. And the market days is where people from neighboring villages come together and they create a market and the whole day they basically buy and sell. So it's like a pop-up, in yeah. quote, kind of market. Correct. And after that day, it, it just vanishes. Yeah. So you might just be driving by and like, oh, you know what? There's no store here. There's no business here. But they, they have their own yeah. structure. And that is one thing, even as entrepreneurs and professionals, when you look at the continent, it's really about looking at it from, you know, from their point of view yeah. and then trying to then build around that, yeah. you know, yeah. versus making those assumptions. I saw this yeah. as well. This phenomenon played out. I was in uh, Soweto in, in, in Johannesburg. There's a township called Southwestern Township. It's, the acronym is, is Soweto. Um, and we drove in there on a Saturday morning. I think I was going to a funeral. And I noticed all these trucks driving into Soweto. You know, these like livestock trucks. And when I was coming out, I saw that the trucks were all parked on the side of the road. And they were literally selling cattle and sheep off the back of the truck. Because generally, Saturday, Sundays are funerals and weddings in, in township markets. So this pop-up concept was literally these livestock trucks would drive in. There'd be lines and lines and lines and lines. Because, I mean, Soweto's kind of urban village. Not really a village. It's, yeah. it's modern urban It's South Africa's biggest township. Urban, but, urban well, collection of people. Yeah, urban township. Frankly, urban township. Yeah, lots of, there's, tra there's buses and trains. It's like organized. We couldn't not, call it a suburb or a neighborhood, folks. I mean... Well, yeah, it is a sub. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But anyway, point made. We, we digress. <laughs> we digress. This the, happens on the show. The, the, the phenomenon of, of, of rural pop-up or, or, or kind of not urban pop-up is something that's been happening for a long time because yeah. it suits the need at the point of pain and then it disappears. Yeah. And then we make it really fancy because Heineken's got these great pop-up yeah, bars yeah. that happen and all of a sudden it's a thing. But we've been having it. We've been having it. I mean, so I, I, don't, I don't see this as a digression, by the way. I think it's a, it's a very hard... You know, some people might ask, so what's the future of Africa? Yeah. You know, where is really, where is the business? Where is the opportunity going to come from? Mm. Rural is a big word. Yeah. 70%, I mean, Nigeria, for example, 70% 
of the rural business is sitting in, in rural. Mm. So it's really about, you know, especially with startups coming up today, you know, a lot of times we want to, you know, d- develop solutions for the, you know, popular cities, Lagos, yeah. Johannesburg, yeah. Cape Town. Yeah. We don't want to go Arare, in deep. Hey, we need hey. to... <laughs> oh, sorry. How do we develop, you know, how do we de- develop solutions for the masses? You know, how do we really go in deep? And, and that's one of the things I really excited This is part of the reason why, folks, uh, we've invited... Um, um, uh, Charles to the show because not to knock a- anyone who calls himself a sort of innovation architect or someone who understands the market, quote unquote. Um, there's a lot in the nuance of actually being embedded in, in the realities we're discussing here. And he hasn't said it because he dives into the content of, his, of conversation quite quickly. But we're talking about a man who's who's uh, worked in the trenches at the sort of level we've, we've started to describe and excavate now at DuPont, uh, Procter and Gamble, Samsung, Samsung uh, all uh, two of the GE in the Nigerian, in the East African and uh, uh, West African context, even Southern Africa um, in, the, in the case of DuPont, for example. And really, that's what that's what turned our meeting that we had uh, a couple of months ago from like a fifteen minute engagement to like, you know, my <laughs> wife's calling like two hours later. Uh, where are you, baby? Uh, I'm safe. I'm with Charles. Um, who, who's Charles? Charles who? Um, Charles who? Charles who? Charles who? Charles, Charles, Charles who? Uh, so, sorry, I digress. Uh, just a little dr- dramatic reenactment. Um, but so, folks, this is this is what this is a taste of what we like to see on the con- I- I- on the show. We we yeah. we're very pragmatic. Um, it's not that uh, we don't believe any kind of insights worth sort of having or yeah. worth sort of excavating, but. It's particularly valuable to have someone who's been in the trenches. So, given that, I've got a question. Yes, you've got a sterling academic record, right? Mm. Mm. <laughs> okay, mm. I don't know anything that you don't know, so don't worry. <laughs> but you recently chose to do—not uh, recently, but you've done a course um, that essentially was all about uh, thinking. So it's about leadership, you know, in a creative context. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that's important? Oh wow! I mean, I was having a conversation with um, with with a with a with a colleague who actually works in that um, institution called called Think. Um, shout out to Think! Shout out to Think! There's a little oh. whimper. Anti-plastic ladies from Think. You know. Ah. Oh, that makes sense. That's and, ah, drop the plastic. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> what did you scream there? <laughs> Looking out for our people. Looking out for our people. Yeah. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. You know, Which and, is bad. And 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 during that, in, in in my days in Hyber and interacting with so many founders, so many ventures that are you know uprising. One of the big um, improvement opportunities I see is leadership. You know, and and, yeah. and the concept of leadership is not about wearing that tag, CEO you know, director, you know, board member. It's, it's really about your capability to envision uh, a new future or envision a possibility and seeing how to bring people together and energize them towards that destination. Mm. And, and for me, leadership is, is so critical and so required on the continent, mm. whether from a public or from a private standpoint. And I, I really, you know, thought it very important to go first, develop further my leadership capability and mm. also, you know, bringing in creativity into that mix, you mm. know, as well. Because the, 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 the challenges and the, the issues in Africa are quite complex. 
And you need to be creative to be able to, you know, resolve and, you know, offer some solutions, uh, therefore. So I have a question about why you'd come and f- do it in Amsterdam. No shade, Amsterdam, but it, I suppose a lot of people don't realize, and it's part of the reason we're doing the show here, that there is this Africa-focused yeah. innovation, yeah. leadership, slash impact, slash investment vibe yeah. that's becoming a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Amsterdam, and our panel later is going to yeah. demonstrate that in a seriously interesting way. Um, but I mean, you're, you're like a Holt Prize, you know, finalist. You you got access to all these scholarships. You tons of places you could go, Ivy League or otherwise, to study further for free. Even you choose to pay good money to a school called Think in Amsterdam as your sort of next step towards what you perceived was necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, talk me through how you come to that decision and and what goes into it. First of all, I mean, why not Amsterdam? I mean, it's it's just incredible, you know. Thumbs well, up. Well, I mean, um, aside from aside from it being an incredible city, yeah, it is. I, I must say that you know, it's really so it's, an incredible it's, city. it's an incredible city. I get yeah. that, but I, I guess uh, I'm I'm trying to tease out like what made it like the obvious choice for you, an obvious choice for you. You know. The, the beautiful thing about that program is just the um, combination of of people. You you meet you know everyone that is you know super successful in their various fields and extremely diverse as well. You know you meet someone who is an investment banker. You meet someone who is you know working in the Red Cross in you know in the Middle East. You know and bringing these you know set of people together. You know with a with a shared you know, common purpose is is really very uh, very very interesting, and and for me, I was I was very intrigued by the the the, the selection of people and the diversity of of people. So I, that that for me was was also very very interesting. Another thing that was interesting was just the radicality in terms of the curriculum. I mean, it wasn't your typical oh, you know what? Let's sit down, let's you know do case studies, let's go through you know all kinds of stuff. It was. Very, it was very practical and immersive, and it was like we were actually creating the experience and, and the curriculum. Um, there, there is no uh, certificate or diploma at the end of the day. It's really about you taking those learnings and you adapting those learnings to your situation, and also learning with your colleagues as well. So I just, I just found you know that kind of principle quite very attractive. It's yeah. kind of un-African, really. No diploma at the end. No, <laughs> there's no diploma. Like you, you try explain that. To my dad, <laughs> you, you did what? Like, oh, what? For how long? You're gonna pay, you pay what? How much? Where? No diploma. In, in Amsterdam. And Come back home, my son. Yes. <laughs> Quickly, oh. And it, it it personally resonates with me because I, I believe that even when you are coming up with solutions, it, it really starts with people. A lot of times we forget that business is really about people doing business or interacting with people. That's true. And, you know, as we, as we construct and we offer solutions on the continent, we need to be able to bring the, right, the different, you know, people to the table. Like, I have a corporate background, um, but I don't want to play only with guys from corporate. I want to be able to play with a scientist. I want to play with a teacher. I want to play with a technologist, you know. But that's what hybrid really is about. It's about the, this hybrid diversity of really bringing people of different races and color and and background together because that diversity itself is wealth okay it's, it's really and very useful how, so how do you translate that so i mean i i hear you and i think for a guy like you with your sterling record and probably fantastic rolodex you can pick up the call and you can play with all these people right then there's
is me who's sitting there in Johannesburg. Oh, I'm, shut up, Mr. I was hired quickly <laughs> by Facebook in Africa. <laughs> so much, so much anger. So much anger. Marketing. Have some water. For <laughs> so so there's, you, there's the other guys, right? There's the guys who are at the bottom in the trenches trying to do the thing, who can't pick up the phone and make things happen, who you know are facing on a daily basis these big organizations who don't have that layer of leadership at the top. They've got solutions. They've got insight. They're native to these environments. And they're just hitting their heads on the wall all the time, yeah. you know? Yeah. What about those guys? Amsterdam's a dream for those guys. Mm. Very, very interesting, interesting question. And what I can say to that is, is not that I have a direct answer, but is the fact that we, the privileged one, if I should use, the privileged ones, if I should use that term, we, we, we have a responsibility to be a bridge for these guys. Mm-hmm. We, we have a responsibility to come closer to them to recognize them and see how we can work with them to get them to where they want to get to. Okay. Uh, give them the access that they need. You know, give them the information because a lot of time it's, it's uh, information yeah. scarcity yeah. that really is the problem. You know, give them access to that information, access to that intelligence. A lot of times people think it's all about funding, but like we say in Hyper, funding really comes at the last part. If you get the, 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 the preliminaries pretty well, yeah. you know, Funding will happen by, by default. And you know what I think that message comes coming from you is really yeah. great because you're Nigel Bourne, and that's not to diminish anyone who's not, mm-hmm. you know. But you're, you, you, you're inspirational for that reason. Um, you come out of the system. You, you, your undergrad was in Nigeria. I mean, we, yeah. there are all these um, stereotypical biases that people think are limiting factors, and they in reality are. I mean, it, life is better for you if you graduate from an Ivy League. I'm just, like, by default, just certain things are easier and more, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, money might flow more easily and stuff, but what's also true is that you can be born in Nigeria, you can attend a local university, yes. get the basics you need to set you up for success later. Yes. It is possible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I feel like that's a perfect segue to talk about Hyber because mm-hmm. our teammate Tayo, in preparing for this interview, like she got us really excited about the the potential for the model, um, the the framework of thinking that you are looking to apply to do everything mm-hmm. you just said in practical terms. So again, mm-hmm. the reason we have Charles here today is because he, he's one of the people who can say rhetoric like that without me going, "Oh, please, buddy, keep it moving." <laughs> no, because for real, like his his day to day is living out what he's just talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's experienced it. He's gleaned stuff from his um, corporate career. He's uh, Walked barefoot at Think School and <laughs> <laughs> and left with a ton of experience and no diploma. Um, <laughs> and and he's emerged on the other side of this incredible wealth of experience and learning and journeying with a freakingly amazing idea for how to move things forward for startup founders, how to invest in the next wave of incredible business people, how to deploy his talents and skills and experience as, an, as a professional into the market and see results. Is that a fair setup? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so it hit the people with Hyber and, and what the thinking is and, and, and just validate everything I've said to set it up, man. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, that was a lot. You know, yeah. I, I, we, it was a we, bit of a mouthful. <laughs> Let the mess we just, speak. Um, <laughs> we, just, we just finished um, uh, a white paper. Uh, we spent about 12 weeks really trying to understand the ecosystem. Why can't it, it be a black paper? Why, I just want to, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so just sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> 
Okay, we just finished that study. Are you happy? Now? I'm happy now. We just finished the study. I'm happy now. See, yeah. this is what happens when you and don't it, get a diploma. It kind of like, yeah. like re-echoed Look, look at him trying principle. to get away from this. <laughs> yes, we, it kind of like just re-echoed Just let the our... awkwardness settle, bro. <laughs> just, let it, just let it sink in. You'll get used to me. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're still my guy. Yeah. Okay. You're still my guy. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us about the study. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, 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 we wrote it for... We wrote the study yeah. for, uh, for Thompson Reuters. And... Um, one of the Did you guys catch that? Well, we just happened to, you know, partner with Thompson Reuters on a study. Just, yeah. Anyway, just, just yeah. like that. Look at just, you. Just call them up. Okay. And Look so at we, you. We wrote this study and, um, you know, we, it, it kind of like um, confirmed a couple of the um, assumptions that we had. And it's, it's really about um, the, um, this might sound very cliche, the ecosystem. Uh, when, and when I say the ecosystem, I mean the, the principal actors that are within the continent trying to shape um, the, the narrative around startups and how they grow. I mean, you have the, the entrepreneurs themselves, you have the corporates, you have the government, you have the investors, you have the foundations, you know, all these guys doing, doing different things. Um, from our point of view, the big question we keep asking ourselves is, so we have so many startups, you know, coming up day in, day out. Um, how do we... Um, make them more successful? How can we see more role model startups? In other words, how can we see more scale-ups? And, and we looked at the, the data and, we, and one of the big alarming figures that came out, data done by uh, a study done by Think and Deloitte, is only 0.5% of startups scale after the fifth year. Now, this so is in which a, geography was this? This, this is, is a global okay. average. So if we, if we come down and we look at Africa, um, we don't have the number, but I, my hunch is it's probably not up to 0.1%. Agreed. It's, you know, you know 0.1%. Mm. And, you know, that's like one out of a thousand, correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, one out of a thousand startups will scale after five years. This, you know, if, if you were just to increase that by, you know, four or by three, the, the, the progression is huge. Mm. And the question is, why, why, why is this happening? And, and there are several reasons. And, and we said, you know, how can we, not by ourselves, but how can we facilitate these actors to mobilize their resources and everything they have towards the advantage of, you know, of these startups? Mm. And whether it is the corporations who don't, who don't understand fully what the startups are going through and the startups can't speak their language and engage properly. Mm. Uh, whether it's in investors that are investing in, you know, in, 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 uh, in, in, in deals that they are comfortable with, in quotes, mm. and, ref- and, and is a reflection of their own kind of principles. Mm. Whether it's the foundations that are spending money um, in various ways that might not be reaching the critical pain points of, of these ventures. Yeah. So it's, it's really about mobilizing these set of actors in a very programmatic and systematic way. Uh, and that's why we have a five-year venture support program. So How many years was that? Five. Five years. Okay, so shout out to all the venture capitalists who are trying to do this in a year. Because we think you're going to fail. Yeah, let alone, let alone venture capitalists. There's also, I mean, I've got an observation around all the other rats and my systems that are called incubators. and Dang, Musa. Sorry, I went, I went in. I went in. I'm sure. going in. Sure. Rats and mice. That's what I call them. Bleeding on the so floor, you that rat. <laughs> because <laughs> you take a survivalist entrepreneur who's got, who's got very little to live for. You give him a 
free Wi-Fi and coffee and you wrap him with <laughs> entrepreneurs flying in from all over the world and you say, you know, we're going to take care of you for 12 months, make sure your business is amazing and you close your eyes and you throw some money at him and you hope that yeah. that works, right? Uh-huh. What happens is that you get a million of these guys coming into incubators. The very incubators that they're coming into are run by administrators and not entrepreneurs. So they're not getting any kind of latent transfer of knowledge. They're not getting any support in terms of their business actually getting customers. And so what happens? You start to get a feather on your notch because I'm in an incubator and you stand up being in an incubator for year two and you're three and you incubate ad nauseum you actually never get out the incubator right so you've got this kind of point of convergence where you're getting all this early talent that you allocate and you put in there standard bank fnb all the big banks do it and the result is that you're not getting any throughput you're not getting any listings you're not getting any scale-ups you're not getting any of that so they all get stuck incubating for a while until they kind of lose a bit of momentum and then they go back to their day jobs or whatever it may be so that's what i've observed and that's why i call them rats and mice because they're not doing us any favors wow i just had this horrible visual (laughs) of my actual rat eating the fromage no like in actual you know in a belly like (laughs) incubating <laughs> yes. and then like eating the organs and then like in that alien movie like <laughs> you know <laughs> sorry okay. anyway yeah, sorry well, that was good much. yeah but and, and well. then killing the host <laughs> and then not surviving like the like, next 10 years sorry it's really dark yeah, 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 really really quickly pull him back all right so we pull him back, back. Well, <laughs> so, okay so well if i were to i mean you, you're definitely spot on in terms of your observation thank you sir um, so what are you doing differently like what what's your big idea what are you going to do in five years that everyone else currently is saying oh this is so possible like in 10 years and besides we're, we're uh, in in one year and and besides we're, we're we're investing in like 10 people at the same time and this is a game of numbers one of them is going to blow up and then we're going to make the numbers and silicon valley is going to come to africa and it's going to be silicon africa boom well uh, what you going to do <laughs> so, what you going to do so what are you guys doing what's Hi- what's hybers what's hybers i think what we what we what we're trying to do is number one put the founder in the center of everything because building a company in africa is tough yeah it's, it's, it's really tough. I mean, and if I bring it to my home, building a company in Lagos is hard. Bro, it will, it will eat you up. Yeah. Like providing leadership capacity development yeah. for, the, for the founder. Uh, we spend four to five days per month with, with, the, with, with, with the founders, with their companies. Yeah. And a, a big chunk of that is really, you know, being that trusted companion and trusted partner with the founders as they go through their journey as, as, a, as entrepreneurs. Can we just pause? So firstly, the man said five years, folks. Can we just yeah. highlight the importance of how long it takes to make it work? No, we're not asking to be treated differently or Africa somehow special or some slow child. Africa's different, y'all. Things take time over here. Um, there are things that need to be built over time, including infrastructure yeah. that did not exist. Often startup founders are not only just trying to build a startup, they're trying to build the, f- the infrastructure that would support that startup, yeah. and they're doing it all at the same time at a fraction of the amount of money you'd spend in Europe to do something like what? A new VR app, okay? So that's, so just to, just to pause there. Second thing I'd like us to pause on is what you're talking about, which is support. No accelerators and VC um, interests and incubators. Money alone won't do the trick. And no support in the form of like a check-in via Skype every other month or so isn't going to cut it. You will need to, you know, roll up your sleeves yeah, and get dirty, get dirty with get dirty. those people. And I, and that process takes time. It's, it's, yeah. it's dirty. It's often disappointing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, it often yields very little. It's extremely expensive and it might not work out. Do you know what we call that? We call that business. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's called. 
So it with that with, said, please yeah, proceed. It, it starts with the founder. So we spend time, um, you know, and it could be in the office, it could be, you know, during dinner, mm. and as they go through, you know, their own experience and they are trying to make some decisions, you know, we are able to, they're able to mirror us and we can, yeah. we can help, not help them make the decisions, but offer them a wide range of perspectives and options in terms of that specific decision. Right. And at some point, money comes in? Money does come in. We've, we've got, we need to go to Q&As very shortly. Oh, yeah. I've got two questions. Oh, one question. Then you can ask a question. Yeah. And wrap it up. Oh, yeah. Then we have to let the people There's speak. There's still like no, five other things we do on top of that that go on. Yes. Yeah. No, no, we'll engage. How do you coach um, these guys to fail better? Right? So failure is an integral part of this journey. Oh, wow. Right? That's so interesting. How do you coach them to fail better? I'm not though? sure we coach them to fail, but... Um... No, I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the stats say that 90% of them will fail. Yeah. Right? And I'm, I'm, I'm juxtaposing that with the African context around failure. Failure is yeah. not a cool thing in Africa. Yeah. Failure yeah. is yeah. a... You've got uh, kwashioko or some disease, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's never a good thing. Mm-hmm. However, you can't break the spirit of young entrepreneurs because yeah. they failed mm-hmm. once. So hence mm-hmm. my question around how you coach them to fail constructively. Well, I think one of the big things we try to drive is for them to see failure as a, as a learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to try things over. You, you have to like try things and change things as you go along. So it's not like, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's, it's a marathon. It's really, uh, it's, so we, it's really about making them look at failure as, as an opportunity to learn how to do things differently. And one way we do that is really asking, uh, two questions, uh, and I, I've been using this question for, for 15 years, mm. even in, in, in boardrooms, uh, in corporate. What's working? What's not? And when you look at what's not working, you basically look at, okay, should we drop or should we see how we can make it, make it work? So those, you know, juggling those two questions, what, what's working and what's not working can really offer very, very interesting uh, insights on going forward towards success. So yeah. before we throw it into the audience for a Q&A, I want to ask you to, to speak to the, the will, three other things yeah, that you said you left out. I will, take like, the, I will take the two other big ones that really is uh, differentiating. your model and how yeah. you're doing it differently. The, we, we focus a lot on, on their business models and business models, not in terms of sitting down and blowing and doing canvases and all that, but really looking at how do we structure the economics and the delivery of the business. So for example, uh, we had a founder who basically was trying to, you know, sell a device that allows, uh, you know, healthcare workers to test and screen women for cervical cancer. And this is a, this is a very interesting device because it's mobile and it's non-invasive. And she, traditionally she wanted to take it doctor by doctor and, and sell it. But we said, no, you know, let's, let's look at it from another perspective. Mm. Let's actually create a program that allows you to train healthcare workers on how to use it, train them on how to create their own screening program, and then give them that equipment as a tool to do it. You love know, it. love it. You love might it. sell that equipment in, yeah. but you have you've also increased their own capacity to love use it. that equipment. And in them doing the screening, they can also monetize from there. Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Wow!" and decided to call it the Screen Her program. And she then went and did it in six uh, locations, trained about 80, 80 healthcare workers, all in the space of three months. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 
screened about a thousand women and built collateral around that. Then I said, great, great job. Now I, now we can come in. So we go sit with a couple of uh, multinationals and we sit with a company that does the device, for example. We sit with a company that is bringing uh, the, one of the biggest telcos that is, you know, bringing a connectivity piece. And we sit with another healthcare big uh, manufacturer as well. And we say, you know what? Let's take this from, from six sites to 500. So let's call it Screen Hub 500 and let's, let's figure out a way with your resources and capability and access to market to do this in three years. So instantly that be moves from a, you know, six, you know, centers to a $15 million opportunity that wow. then begins to get the product managers and the sales directors in these multinationals excited because, oh, wow, suddenly they can see the scale. Yeah. So business model is one area that we really, really look at. And then the other piece is about, you know, tying up the collaboration between the corporates the startups, the government, and and investors, yeah. tying that piece out, preparing the startups to be able to interact with these actors in very productive, productive ways that lead to tangible, scalable results. And, and that's and that's what we that's that's yeah. our contribution to the. To, I think that needs that needs a clap, man. Yeah, give the man a yeah, yeah. That's very a warm round of applause. Musa, you're going to head into the into the crowd over here. Yes. Um, he's going to come around with the mic. He's got a question. Any questions, comments, inputs? Please say your name before you um, shoot. Hi, my name is Liva de Koning. Um, a bit of a devil's advocate's question, I guess, or maybe even a moot point. But anyway, I'd like your perspective on why entrepreneurship matters. Given those numbers that, you know, we spelled out, you I could argue this that this does not work for many people. Right? There's, there's a huge pool of losers. I don't mean they're losers, but there's a huge pool of people for whom it doesn't work, at least not at once or not at all. Or, and you know, and if you fall in a place where there's no huge big history of social security, you fall flat on your face as opposed to just on your knee, all that stuff. So you can argue it doesn't work. So your perspective on why is this the way to go? In terms of entrepreneurship or in terms of our, our approach? No, I think she's talking generally, and I love that question. I think you're saying um, maybe we should be spending more time teaching people how to be good employees, <laughs> maybe. I'm just saying that. I'm playing devil's advocate even deeper than you. So maybe yeah, I, maybe if I, we just I, I had a lot more happy employees, well, you know, yeah. gainfully employed, yeah. making livings for their family, they'd yeah. be numbers-wise better than yeah. some of the pretty awful yeah, numbers yeah. that you you mentioned earlier i mean the, the, the thing i mean a very 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 interesting question i really like that question and what just comes top of my mind is the importance of entrepreneurship because it is still the biggest contributor to economic development like if you look at what contributes to household income for the masses it's it's entrepreneurship these small businesses when you add the output of these businesses together, it's a significant contribution in Africa to, to the economy. Um, the question is, is how can we make them more productive? They are still the biggest employer. Um, employer. Uh, a multinational in Nigeria might not, might not, I mean, I, I work for Samsung. We didn't hire more than 250 people in the whole country. I mean, 250. So even if you had 1,000 Samsungs, in Nigeria, it's only what? But these small SMEs, thousands, I mean, the, the, the small business association in Nigeria has 4 million members. If each of those um, SMEs hire two people incremental every year, that's 8 million jobs. 
So it's really about how can we make this, you know, small, big? And how I can think, we make it more productive? Is it yes. also fair to say that um, maybe your question is somewhat framed in, uh, and I'm going to make an assumption here, maybe a Eurocentric or Western perspective, whereas I think part of what you're really saying is that by default, most Africans are entrepreneurs, right? It's and, just it, the, and, and it's it, also it, a factor It's a factor of circumstance. It's a factor of circumstance. The, so I'll have you know my mother currently is farming uh, three acres of onions for the first time in her life. She's turning 70 this year. Um, that is really normal <laughs> in, in, in a place like Zimbabwe and certainly normal in other parts of the world. And granted, my mother's been quite fortunate in being uh-huh. able to access some of the finance she needed to do the project. But there are hundreds of thousands and millions of people on the continent all pitching at varying levels at entrepreneurial endeavors of that kind, partly because they can and they've got the drive to do it aspirationally, but mostly because yeah. if they didn't, they'd die. Yeah. So in the context of what he's saying, yeah. um, it, really, like, even if we had like a bunch of, you know, average Africans in the room right now, they, they'd probably be very confused at the question itself. Um, and, and I suppose in the context of what you're doing with Hybo, mm-hmm. we're talking at a scale level that makes the kinds of businesses we're talking about interesting to VCs, mm-hmm. to PE outfits, mm-hmm. the kind of conversation that is worth having in Amsterdam, because frankly, uh, Velocity Capital and Goodwill aren't getting up in the morning for less than X, right? And so he's talking about like what? And because he's been to think, no, I'm just saying, but, but that's the thing. But so he's talking about facts that bridge the gap between that reality yeah. and the reality that gets like real money doing real things in much bigger ways than are currently possible as things stand. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So there's a question. There's two questions here at the back. Okay. Um, I'll start with you, sir. You're new to the group. Did you sneak in at the back? <laughs> please, okay, please tell us your name and your surname. Please tell us uh, who your first girlfriend was. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's, that's totally in keeping with GDPR, right? Totally. Well, totally. Yeah, don't worry. Just tell us and we'll be good with your data. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, my first name is uh, Ogleve uh, Makoa. I'm also from Zimbabwe. Hello, back. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've also interacted with a couple of entrepreneurs in which they stated the fact that, you know, normally let's say you get venture capital. When you get that money, you know, later on, you know, it's like, okay, they are like, you know, this due diligence course, they are all this course, you know, and probably it's like, you know, 150K that you get. Then later on about... 40k is going to all those, you know, to try to figure out, like, you know, if your business plan is good, whatever, then already, you know, you're, you're down 40k, you know. Can't that be also setting up African entrepreneurs to failure? Because already when they were budgeting on that certain amount, and then they have to go back, like, you know, 40k, like in the example that I gave, well, that, that's ve- that's very interesting. I mean, one of one of the things, and um, you know, I, I might I might trigger a couple of uh, discussions in the room. I mean, the argument is: Does every um, you know startup need uh, venture capital finance? Um, it would be interesting that there were other 
instruments of finance or uh, structures of finance that could be, you know, better made accessible to a larger mass of startups or, or small businesses. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's still about one or two percent of, of these companies that actually access uh, venture, venture capital. And, and for those of them that do, I mean, they, they, I mean, when you look at the capability and a couple of things that you've mentioned in terms of it reducing the size of the, of the fund itself, um, those things must happen. You must do the due diligence. You must uh, spend money on a couple of a uh, couple of things. But my my argument is: Can we have more creative instruments of finance that address you know a, a wider uh, pool of of entrepreneurs? One of the things that we highlighted in our white paper is: How can we have an ecosystem for the many? And not the few. You said white paper. Which sorry, paper was that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Study. Oh my God. Can you take the mic you, away from that guy, please? That take the mic away. It's an academic thing. No, nah, we're messing with you. We're messing with you. <laughs> it's we're an messing academic with you. Thing. So yeah, but, but you, the other point I think um, that's worth making in answering that question is yeah. Africa has to answer to the environment we we're growing entrepreneurs in. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know we have representatives from yeah. the African Business Angels Network here tonight and or this evening. And I know like it's a huge bugbear with me that we're perhaps not doing enough to ensure that there's a, um, there are failure funds much earlier on than when you're sort of 40 years old with your first idea mm-hmm. and needing like 200k to make or break right we, we need to be talking about like what happened since you were 16 mm-hmm. how many opportunities you were given to try mm-hmm. things and fail mm-hmm. um what sort of liquidity you were offered by the ecosystem mm-hmm. to make that happen mm-hmm. angel investors those of us with with spare cash in our pockets of any kind or spare experience or yeah. resources or capacity in any kind need to answer for this we need yeah. to be like so i'm speaking now to those of you who are quote unquote Africa focused, many of you from the continent, like you, my brother, we need to answer you, you, you're part of answering this question. How are you ensuring that that dude is in the best, the dude you ex, or the dudess you, 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 you talked about in your example is positioned to execute successfully when they do land investment? Yeah. What sort of network are they plugged into through the diaspora? And this is partly why we're doing this here, because yeah. we realize that this is not a question you can answer yeah. sitting in Arare with, with zero exposure to any other country besides Zimbabwe. Can I, can I just add one more thing to that? Uh, and one of the answers to that is something I like to highlight, which, what, which is what uh, VC4A has been doing over the last eight years, really trying to uh, educate investors and, and venture capital capitalists and angel investors around, you know, looking, creating, uh, creating structures that is relevant for the continent, you know, training them and educating them and telling them, you know, this is, you know, this, this, this is, this is how it, it can be done. We need to, you know, not just take the structures from Silicon Valley. We need to basically adapt something, create and adapt something for, for the local market. And, and that's what they've been doing for, for over eight years now. And okay. doing it pre- pretty well. Hello, everyone. My name is Edwin. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank the organizers of this event. I could easily go home right now and be satisfied so far. And I know it's only the beginning. So wow. Kudos to you wow. guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. So my question kind of goes back to the purpose of entrepreneurship. Um, I'm a very big proponent of entrepreneurship. And I know that globally there's this kind of push for African entrepreneurship being a solution to to all these 
kind of large scale as well as small scale problems. But I do, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm struggling because I don't think it's sustainable. And here's why. In Ghana, for example, where I'm from, if I want to build a home, I virtually have to become my own construction company. If I need water, I need to become my own water company. If I need electricity, I need to become my own electricity company. If I need security, I need to become my own security company. You get where I'm going. So it's very challenging for people who just want to live a very basic life. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with entrepreneurship. And obviously, globally, you see governments kind of losing relevance because multinationals, there are about 200,000 200, multinationals that control 50% of the world's resources, employing 800,000 people globally. But governments now are struggling because multinationals are so large that they cross many state boundaries and there's no single government that can police these multinationals. So I'm acknowledging that globally the role of governments are reducing. But in Africa, I think that we still need to hold our governments accountable. And, you know, it's, it's unfair to put that burden on every single, you know, graduate to be able to come up with a solution to bad roads. I mean, come on, some things governments just need to fix. I don't think it's fair to, to think that every problem, we can't entrepreneur our way around every single problem. But I think the solution will be to create public-private partnerships where these solutions, these creative minds have the resources and the tools in partnership with our governments to really shape the future in a way that is sustainable. So that's really more a comment. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll no, they, you, ain't, ain't, nothing, I mean, ain't nothing wrong with I, that, brother. I, ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I, can, I, can, speak, I can speak to your, to your heart, and I, I can feel, um, you know, the message there is, you know, government needs to step up. And, you know, I really like your comment in terms of we cannot en en enter, um, entrepreneur ourselves, you know. And what I like to say to that is the entrepreneur has a very interesting opportunity to... To, to create a table and then bring the various uh, actors together to the table, you know. Um, how, how do you, from the time you are building your product, how do you start looking at it from a government standpoint? And how can you start looking at, you know, what kind of conversations need to happen uh, with the government to enable you do what you want to do, you know, a lot a lot better? And 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 this is what we t we we try to tell uh, entrepreneurs that they should look. Sometimes we, we we're too, uh, you know, we're too romantic with with our solutions and our problems and we forget that there is a the broader you know a, a broader scheme of things that are, that are playing and and my 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 response is as you build your product how can you actively engage with these stakeholders how can you engage with them to get them into not just the conversation but the activity itself of taking that product to life and can i can i can i just add to this um, no you can't oh, okay Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, you can add to it. You can, okay. you can summarize. <laughs> you can summarize. So no, um, I'm, I'm going to say um, you're right. At the same time, um, I also feel like we need to highlight the role of the people in this room, like um, in terms of what you're talking about. I'll give you an example. Anything wrong with drones that drop blood supplies and medical supplies in rural Rwanda? Right. I was in Rwanda for the first time a few months ago and it's, it really is like a hilly wow. country. Like it really is. So, I mean, I, I had a really 
great appreciation for the importance or the benefit of a drone that's going to perhaps drop some plasma in a rural area that would be hard to reach, especially in stormy times. So I, so great. I look at that. Um, but when you see how that development is being sold in places, certain conferences, whether it's Viva Tech or wherever else, centers that basically set the agenda for how our policymakers think, what we ourselves expect of ourselves and our nations and our policymakers, we have to ask ourselves what we're doing to, to contribute to that narrative. Because I will argue in this moment that if I am, and I'll put myself in, a, in an impossible position and imagine what it must like, be like to be in a woman, to be a woman with, with, compl- with a complex pregnancy at two hours away from dying, three hours away from a hospital, from the nearest hospital, if the weather's good, um, drone or no drone, I'm a die, right? And the narrative doesn't accommodate that because we're all celebrating drones, all right? And we're, and we're enabling agenda setters who don't have to live out this context to influence narratives that influence how our government spends, who, who has the right to, to, to project into public sphere. And, and the reason it, so, it sounds like such a theoretical or almost like a, an ideological um, argument I'm making here. But why I'm saying is we all participate in that or allow it in some way or shape or form. All of us. And that's what this podcast pretty much doesn't stomach too, too readily. Right. This idea that, yes, you're right. We can't entrepreneur ourselves, uh, out of a problem. But guess what? We wouldn't have a, a Middle East fueled by, by oil if it wasn't for a single entrepreneur at some point. Right. Uh, he, I'll, re- he'll remain unnamed because I'm not a fan of his work. But at the end of the day, it took one dude to go and say, Hey, oil fields. <laughs> Conspiracy. Conspiracy. <laughs> No, go 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 read the history. I mean, some dude went into the desert and said, there's oil here and drilling it is possible. No one believed him. He drilled it and it actually was possible and Dubai is a thing, right? So all I'm saying is it took an entrepreneur. It didn't mm-hmm. take like the, the, what we now know as the UAE. It didn't take, uh, the, you know, a, a united, uh, uh, sort of Middle Eastern region. It didn't take a, a bunch of governments to decide this was the future they wanted. It took an entrepreneur. To, ch- to change the economic future of an entire region. Now, granted, I'm not going to speak to like everything else that's unfolded, but I'm just saying that all of this stuff is true at the same time. And it's a complex discussion. And I, and I, I, w- I didn't want to leave the very valid comments you made unsubstantiated with the reality that at the end of the day, entrepreneurship is hard. And yes, in Africa, we have to do more than the average entrepreneur has to do here in, in, in the, in the, in the Netherlands simply because we have to, and sorry, but that's just how it is. So as we break, <laughs> I'd like to leave you with a parting thought. That entrepreneurship is a sexy word for survival, <laughs> where I come from. And therefore, if you think about this context of survival, there's a lot of things that don't make logical sense. If you can look at them through a very structured way of trying to understand a lot of stuff. So access to things like funds and finance happen through very informal structures called stockpiles and savings groups. There's a lot of money there. But the rest of the context hasn't caught up enough to understand that you're trying to move people from survival to thriving. And therefore, that bridge has never been built. The mechanics, the systems, the thinking, all the rest of that, that understands that I'm taking this person from surviving. And yes, they're framed as an entrepreneur, and that's a word that we use. But all I'm doing is I'm shifting them from surviving to thriving. 
And in so doing, we actually lose the empathetic point of view, which is going to allow you to make the correct decisions. And we shall engage further after the break. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One more time, ladies and gentlemen, please, for, for, Charles, B, for being on the show. Charles O'J. Charles Thank <laughs> you.